0: Hello and welcome to the Market Moment. My name is Eli Freeman. I'm here with John Markfelt and Ashton Davis. We've got a couple things about the market, things that are changing, unemployment rate, uh, housing markets, and to start off, Wall Street is bullish. If you if you look at what the analysts are saying, looking into this 2024, I know we're, we're in the second month of 2024, but Wall Street is actually getting excited. John, where is that coming from? What's it stemming from? Um, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, <clears throat> the fourth quarter results look good. So fourth quarter reports, I think 81% of companies have beaten esti- met estimates or beaten estimates, which is a good sign. So <clears throat> I've said a long time that the fourth quarter results should be good based on the, what we, the data we know from fourth quarter. So I'm not that worried about that, mm-hmm. but that has kept the, in fact, the stocks that led the market last year are still leading the market this year. Yeah, which is um, surprising, and we've had this, we had this run of small cap stocks that started in October, but they have gone down mm-hmm. year to date. It's wavered, which right, so it's still it's going back to that where it's just those
0: big get bigger,
1: right? Five, six, seven stocks, which I don't think is very healthy and sustainable, and I <clears throat> I do worry about you know the Fed may, came out said they were not going to basically not going to cut rates in March. Mm-hmm. And now they're pushing it out even further, which is kind of what we expected. I think you and I both thought that. Yeah. Right?
0: I, <clears throat> they can keep pushing it out. But I do think the Federal Reserve is going to be cutting rates sooner than we probably would anticipate.
1: Well, they're going to have to have um, – here, here's my, my problem with the Fed. And I've said this many times on this. It's <laughs> a so broken record. But <clears throat> they are – if they truly want to get down to 2% inflation rate, which is what their target has been since the beginning. Sure and they're, they're on, they are they're said they do not care what they do to the economy. They're, that's their number one focus, get it to 2%. And they've not gotten it there. And I worry mm-hmm. about, now again, for all those who don't know, I am the worrier of the panel, always the pessimist, but we have not hit that inflation rate that, we're, that they want us to hit. And I'm seeing signs of that inflation rate creeping back up, or I think there's potential for that to happen. Mm-hmm. But also uh, back to the market, the one thing that I'm a little nervous about too is the, I saw the 10 year treasury was at 4.1 this morning.
0: Oh, did it go back up? It was,
1: it was over four. <clears throat> and every time it creeps above four or stays around four, I don't think the small cap stocks like, you know, that doesn't help the small cap, the Russell 2000, which we, which we want to start to expand out to get mm-hmm. more breadth of the market. But that kind of stalls that. Uh, so when you hear interest rates not going to fall, you know, maybe maybe pushing out a little longer, I think that hurts those parts of the market. It doesn't hurt the big cap, mega cap, and they could drive this thing Mm -hmm. for a long time.
0: So 2023, Uh, there was one analyst that was anywhere close to correct with their prediction in the market, which is crazy because all the people much smarter than us that are heads over the largest banks, the largest investment institutions, they make their end of year predictions at the beginning of the year. There was only one that was correct. His name was Tom Lee. And I believe he's with Funstrat, and he was pretty close to correct on the S and P this year again, hugely bullish. I think he wants it to be at like 5,500 by the end of the year, which is a pretty large gap up, yeah. or 5,700. But I listened to an interview with him, and he thinks that the Russell 2,000, which is your small to mid-sized companies, could be up 40 to it was 40 to 80. I don't want to quote him completely wrong, but somewhere in the ballpark of like 50 percent right up. And most of that is probably around the opposite of what you just said. Yeah, yeah, if, and, and if rates drop, it's great for those yep. small to medium-sized companies.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I think so. Rates dropping is important for those companies. Mm-hmm. Fed this last meeting did not give us that indication that they were going to drop in March, mm-hmm. which some people were betting on that counting on that. So it pushes that out a little further, which puts in in my humble opinion, I am not <laughs> as smart as this guy or whatever, but <clears throat> the, um, I'm talking about the, the John Stratton, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you I mean, too, even right, I'll I'm take not, it, I'll take it. No, um, but I don't, you know, I, I, look at that as the headwind. So I go back to years and years ago when I, there was one stat that I thought was always interesting when the rates were low for so long for basically since 2008, mm-hmm. um, I, I heard something a long time ago, and it said if the 10-year Treasury goes above 2%, you need to be careful with small-cap stocks, NASDAQ stocks. Okay, well, that obviously is incorrect. Uh-huh. It's gone way above 2%, and the NASDAQ has blown up, and small-cap stocks, for the most part, are have done well since that point in time. So all this data we see and all these little little things, and I know you and I have conflicting views sometimes about where things are going, mm-hmm. but I think that's healthy, by the way. I love that because it's good to have that. If we all sang the same song every time, I mean, you come in this office, you get all of our opinions, all of our help, and we do this together in our, in our boardrooms and mm-hmm. talk all the time about where we think things are going, try to be on the right page, but it's good to have different opinions mixed in together, mm-hmm. right? And I, I think that's healthy, uh, but one of us will be right, one of us is wrong. It's like those analysts... This guy was right. The guy you were talking about, what's his name again? Tom Lee. Yeah, Tom Lee. And you sent me an article about him, and I'm going to read it, and I'm looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. And Tom was way off different from my guy, Brian Westbury, who I think is the best. And Brian Westbury was dead wrong, mm-hmm. right? And so I think 2024, most likely, somebody else will have picked this right. May not be the one of those guys. Yeah. And it's just the way the market goes. But anyway, I'm laboring on. Let's let's go to something else. Ashton <laughs> needs to get her two cents in here.
2: <laughs> I'm just listening. <laughs> um, no, I feel like in regards to the Fed cutting, um, again, I agree it's going to happen sooner than later. I don't think necessarily when that happens is really crucial. Um, you know, I think we're going to get those three rate cuts in. I would say maybe the first one before summer, but, you know, we know that March one probably isn't going to happen. But I don't think that –
0: so, you're thinking something like three rate cuts? Yeah, I mean,
2: I do think we're going to get those three.
0: Yeah, which is
1: kind of the standard opinion, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I don't disagree with that. I think by the end of the year, and it could be summer that the first one hits. But, you know, again, stepping back, we put so much weight into this stuff as advisors. I'm talking, and I we can, we like 20 years ago, when you didn't have the internet and you didn't have all this massive, you know, everybody needs to have information right away, mm-hmm. right? This kind of information would not be
0: so, you know, we
1: wouldn't be on the pins and needles every time it came out, really.
0: And it it frankly doesn't matter really at all because the Federal Reserve, you go back to a year, year and a half ago when the Federal Reserve said we don't plan to raise rates and then subsequently raised rates 75 basis points month, month, month. I mean, it, it, so what they say clearly doesn't matter. It clearly doesn't uh, matter. And, and, and even the 2% inflation target. And we've learned that they don't know any matter. more than what we know because yep. they're looking at the exact same data yep. that we're looking at and trying to make decisions off of it. So it's it's just been an interesting time time to watch. But yeah, the next thing that we're talking about is layoffs. So there's been several articles recently, and you see it all the time. And I think the funniest thing about it is almost every company that's doing layoffs right now is 10,000 employees. Like, I... I I, it seems like every article I see is ten or twenty thousand employees, and I don't know how they got there. If that's a number that just Wall Street likes to see ten thousand layoffs, but we're seeing more and more layoffs. And and the article that that Yahoo Finance article said is layoff explosion in twenty twenty four. So, do you guys have any thoughts on what's going on with layoffs, or if that should be a concern for an investor?
2: Um, I wouldn't say it needs to be a concern. You know, we kind of were discussing it earlier. The average unemployment rate from what was it, 1940, 1948 48 48 to, to, now. to now was 5.7. Even with all of these massive layoffs, mm-hmm. we're sitting at 3.7, S- 3. Yeah. Point something. Um, so, I wouldn't say the sky is falling. Yeah. You know,
0: and and it's hard not to sound tainted whenever you say it like that because there's 6.1 million people unemployed mm-hmm. right now. So if you think of from getting from 3.7% to what was the average 5.8? I think it
2: was 5.7. So
0: to get from 3.7% to 5.5%, that means that millions would have to be laid off or millions would have to lose jobs. Okay.
1: Pessimist. Yeah. (laughs) Pessimist alert. Pessimist alert. All right. So I'm going to give you some data points here. You ready? Go for it. All right. Payroll survey showing strong job growth is showing a concerning drop in the number of hours per worker. Workers in the private sector worked an average of 34.6 hours per week in January 2023. This January, they were down to 34.1. Average weekly hours haven't been this low since March of 2020 with the onset of COVID. Now, okay, that's a statement, mm-hmm. right? Fine. When you do the math and you add out how many hours per work we are starting to go down, you if you put that into full-time jobs... Mm-hmm the unemployment rate suddenly pops up quite a bit. Ah. And I will also tell you that, I, in my opinion on the job loss, like companies, this is a standard procedure, December and January are the two highest uh, job loss months in, in every calendar year, you know, going back, however many years that it goes back in, in history. So the, the idea that the job loss is concerning is not really my, my big concern. And I also, <laughs> flipping from pessimist
0: to optimist, um, most of what you've said, I've actually heard as optimists. Yeah, going, yeah, no, no. Some of
1: this is good. But the job loss stuff, it trims. So companies are cutting expenses, basically, mm-hmm. by cutting jobs. So what did that do for the company? It makes their profits higher. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you just think about it, if the, if the sales stayed the same, but they cut employees.
0: Yeah, when Disney did cuts a year, year and a half ago, they went up like 6% in a day.
1: Right, right. So it's not, job cuts, not necessarily a bad thing. If you start to see a trend and it extends past December, January, then I would start getting more nervous. Like if if the fourth quarter reports that keep coming in, they're going to keep coming in through February. If you started seeing a a bigger, bigger trend and it kept getting more and more and more and that number started expanding where it did affect the unemployment rate and it did move it above four and on and Mm -hmm. on, which it hasn't yet. So it's not a big deal right now. It's kind of normal. And it really, so it's more of an optimistic point. But I don't like the less hours per work. I do think that's... Less hours work week because that's that's money that flows back into the economy that is lessened by not losing employees by just taking hours away.
0: That's actually interesting. So you're you're kind of making the point that we don't have to have unemployment go up to have the effects of unemployment if people are working less. Right.
1: I mean, well, it's just the same story that money is it's all about how much money is flowing through the economy. Yeah. Does that make sense? So, yeah. I mean, if, if money's flowing through the economy, it doesn't matter how it's flowing through. So, for example, COVID, money flowed through the economy because of huge stimulus from the mm-hmm. government. That stimulus runs out and or stops, and then the spending continues to stay the same because we've talked about this before. Credit card debt increases dramatically. Mm-hmm. Like, there's always a uh, consequence to each action, you Again know, and, and it doesn't always... In, in bad results. And, and a lot of folks, in fact, most people are saying recessions off the table now. That has become a <laughs> common theme because we have survived all the way through this. And we've kind of like the soft landing theory or the no landing and all everything's going to be fine. That is starting to take roots and people are starting to, to, to really latch on that that's what's happening.
0: It's, it, it's so. important to, whenever we're talking about the market to not think of short-term changes in your personal portfolio and anything that we say on this podcast is not recommended as an investment portfolio change because you should have a plan you should stick to your plan and your plan should be built around facts statistics and your lifestyle Exactly. and, and exactly. It, it's it's important to know whenever we're talking about the market we're talking about an expected return so whenever you invest into the market you're expecting a return of something if you're investing more in growth stocks, there's an expected return that comes with that. In value stocks, there's an expected return. That expected return is realistically probably over 30 years. Right. Not over one, two, three, exactly. four years. And and so people ask all the time, what is an expectation of return? It's like, well, what's our time frame? And if our time frame is one year, I could tell you I have no idea. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> None whatsoever. Exactly. But we can talk about it and it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yes. <Yeah,
2: exactly. laughs> We can make predictions. <laughs> yeah, we can. We, we can I, be like your I, I was actually accurate and, and unbelievable. And
0: I may be the bull of the room, but last year I predicted the S and P was down significantly more than than what it was. I mean, it, right, and it, right. it was up, and I predicted. Down. I'm completely wrong. So, going go into the third topic of the day, landlords have been as according to the article that's from CNBC, landlords have used an application to kind of um, almost become what they called a landlord cartel. So price fixing in markets because they're colluding or or talking with other landlords to try and set prices in different markets. Interesting, interesting article to kind of read through. I have my own personal opinions on it, but before I insert mine, I'd love to hear, hear what you guys think.
1: Oh, well, I mean, I think when you have high interest rates, it's hard to find a house because people that are in houses aren't selling them and then house prices have gone up and it's hard for young, middle class, in my opinion, that's where it hurts the most, middle class and under. Landlords ha- can charge whatever they want if, if you've got to find a place to live, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't, di- I mean, I don't, this article obviously there's something correct about the article. I mm-hmm. didn't go do the research, so I believe the article. So it's it's kind of like um, if that's happening, shame on these landlords that are out there doing this kind of stuff, but it doesn't surprise me at all. This mm-hmm. is This is people taking advantage of people, which is you know, happened since the caveman times I've
0: heard. I would count it as taking advantage of people if they weren't able to find renters. Right. Because if, right. if people are willing and able to pay the rent that the, that the landlords are charging to stay in the places that they're charging, there obviously is not places that aren't colluding. Right. right. And they could, go, they could go to those places. So they're choosing to pay the price that the landlord is, is, is putting out there.
1: Unless you can't find a spot. So as an example, there are waiting lists on yeah. like the, the better the rent, the more fair the rent, those places are full. That's my point. Like, so eventually people that are into the market, mm-hmm. there's eventually going to be people that are, that can't, there's you know, a, there's the, a point. That, yeah. There's a point. They have to go take that mm-hmm. property because that's all they have. Yeah. And then they end up, you know, it's 50% of their take home income or, you know, and that, that is so, you know, I don't know any of these landlords. Shame on them if they're doing that. <laughs> it's terrible, but you know, I don't know how to fix that.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> moving on to the last thing that last thing that we're talking about is there's a big difference right now between the U S and China and how we've made it out of uh, the COVID shutdowns. Yep. Uh, China's been struggling. If you look at the China market and, and what their performance has been, it's massively underperformed the U S markets and, basically what we're wanting to talk about is what what could be involved in some of that underperformance what what goes into that why is china so much different than the u.s because it, realistically china is the second largest country by gross domestic product so what is that where where does that come from
1: do you have any opinions on it no. I,
2: well, I really don't know
1: <laughs> I tell you my opinion. So I've been studying China since I've, I, I've fascinated because when I started the really? business, yeah, Japan was my my first thing I studied because Japan was supposed to overtake the United States economy in the 80s, 90s. And it was a big problem, big huh. concern. Right. And Japan did not. And there is a lot of reasons. And a, and a lot of the reasons is how their Fed handled their economic crisis hmm. back in the 80s. And if you look back on Japan, they mishandled things poorly and then their economy fell fell hard oh, and they didn't Japan overtake. Japan
0: was soaring. They were soaring. I and remember they, that. Yeah. And they were
1: literally talked about taking over America as, as number one. Yeah. It never happened. But China then becomes the new thing, right? Mm-hmm. China's going to take over the United States. And I've heard it a million times since 2005, you know, and on. Because back in the 90s, uh, China was struggling mightily and they, they marked their economy to our dollar. And that happened under Clinton, I believe. And that was good for China, good Mm -hmm. for us because it's a huge consumer base in China, blah, blah, blah. All right. Flash forward to now. Here's my my big no brainer for everybody. Mm -hmm. China is communist. China is not capitalist. China will never, ever take over United States because they're communists, because they have their dirty little hands and every business there, they manipulate the data that comes out on their uh, reports. You can't even trust their, uh-huh. any of their numbers. So yeah, they're falling. They're probably falling worse than they're even than we're even being told they're falling. But that goes back to the type of economy. So go back through history. Has communists ever prevailed? mm <laughs>
0: Never. No. and uh, It's, it's interesting know. that you even alluded to Japan. So when Japan was overcoming the U.S. back in the 80s, 80s yeah. their the economy was soaring. Well, then if you look at Japan and you look at the index, so Japan's index of their stock market, yeah. there is a 30-year period where Japan was negative. Yep. It took them 30 years to recover from after the 80s.
1: And it was stubborn policies that kept them there.
0: Stubborn policies. And yep. that's that, that's a part where whenever people argue between, well, we should have much more international exposure. It's like, well, the, the U.S. has a, a system of laws, checks and balances, yep. a capitalistic society that is built for business. And Do you want to read this quote? This, the,
1: our, our, Yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll read it real quick. Look at us versus China, U.S. or U.S. versus China. U.S. did lots of checks and stimulus, China did not. U.S. is now blowing China's economy out of the water. Of course, a worldwide pandemic is going to affect our economy, but to act like stimulus as a whole was a bad thing is just ignoring reality. Okay, and I think that was probably targeted at me (laughs) because I'm sure. So I'll answer this, it doesn't say who said this, but I appreciate the comment. So Mm -hmm. let me make this clear. Stimulus was necessary in the United States. When you as a government shut down businesses, and everything the whole entire economy slows down you are in my opinion it's almost like the governments uh they are they are supposed to take care of people that they do that because they forced people out of work Mm -hmm. so they had to give stimulus checks and the service sector got hit the hardest because they were closed down in some cases for over a year restaurants and depending on where you were in the country so stimulus checks were necessary to drive the economy i totally get that what, and so uh, this was a misunderstanding. I, I don't think that the stimulus was not a good thing. <clears throat> what I think is when you continue to pay the stimulus after the point of need, we always overdo things and we have clearly overdone things. Mm-hmm. And you create that M2 measure of money supply higher from nonproductive activity. Eventually you will have to pay that price. That's all the point was. Mm-hmm. We are always gonna outperform China because uh, I'm just going to go back to communism versus capitalism. Capitalism always wins. <laughs>
0: anyway. So, it thank you for your comment. There is an article if, if for the person who commented on this. I would highly encourage you Ben Carlson is a writer that I really really appreciate his blog that he puts out. He put a he put a blog out and it's timely. February 4th of 2024 talking about can anyone challenge the economic dollar Dominance of the United States really good data facts data about what is actually going on and how the US is so much larger in uh, market capitalization gross domestic product um, Relative to every other country and if you're listening to this and you're curious as to what that is It's a fantastic article. So so head on over there and read it. So any final thoughts for the day It's been nice having Ashton here. So Ashton's been a little shy
1: So we're going to work on that. But Ashton is filled with so much knowledge, Mm -hmm. and she's so smart, and she's done such a great job so far, and she's like a great teammate Mm -hmm. to have for us, right? Yeah. So Ashton, next time, we'll get you... Where we get more of that information, I, I, I tend to Well,
2: I, I talk more in the office, I promise.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to be worried. Whenever Ashton starts talking, we won't look very smart. <laughs> I know. I know.
1: It's probably good for us for a while. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: right. That's right. That's right. Well, hey, thank you for joining us on The Market Moment. We look forward to having you next week.
3: The hosts of this show are employees of Mach 1 Financial Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing said in the show should be taken as investment advice. Mock One Financial Group LLC is an SEC registered investment advisor located in Rogers, Arkansas. Mock One may only transact business in those states in which it maintains a notice filing or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The information presented is the sole opinion of the speaker and is not meant to be investment advice. Mach 1 does not provide tax or legal advice. You should speak to your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. For full disclosures, click on the link in the episode description below.